Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. If you want to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-R-E-A-L-J-B. The show is written, produced, and edited by me. On this show, I've spoken to people of all religious stripes, but I haven't really spoken to anyone who once identified as religious but left their faith behind. The group we call the nuns, that's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, those who don't identify as affiliated with any religion, appear poised to be the dominant religious designation in America in the coming years, and I plan on talking more to and about people who identify in this way in the coming months, starting today. You may not be familiar with the name John Follis, but if you were ever on a subway in New York City in the first decade of the 2000s, there's almost no chance you're not familiar with his work, the legendary Marble Collegiate Church ad campaign. Do a quick Google image search for that, and I think you'll see what I mean. So when he reached out to me about his very personal documentary, Leaving God, I was really excited to make that connection. Wallace's film covers his own tumultuous spiritual journey, as well as the hidden struggle of those like him who have awoken to atheism, including former pastors and ministers. And I'm happy to have him as my guest today. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. say that I was when you first reached out to me uh, and I looked into you I got really excited when I found out that you're the guy because I lived in New York City for many years and uh, used to ride the subway a lot in the early 2000s and I was like oh the Marble Collegiate ads are you kidding (laughs) I know those very very well and uh, you are the guy behind them so let's talk about your um well, let's talk about your your history with religion as you describe it in your film. Um, and then also I want to talk about your history with advertising and also sort of how those two things interconnect. So in the, in the film, you talk um, about your journey uh, sort of by, I guess, force into religion and then your journey by choice and then your d- decision to leave religion and how that is playing out sort of culturally across the board. Um, but let's let's go all the way back to the early days. Um, and how would you describe your uh, childhood relationship with Christianity um, in particular, um, but religion in general? Well, when I was a kid, we didn't call it Christianity. We called it uh, Catholicism. You know, now, of course, I understand the difference, but the word Christianity, I don't think ever came up uh, during the first 10 years of my life. Um, It was very much Catholic thing and going to mass on Sunday. And it was just what you did if you were Catholic. Um, I mean, I grew up in the 60s, so. I don't know what it's like now, but back then it was just the regular thing you do on Sunday. And it also affected another day of the week on Fridays back then was uh, eating fish day. I, if you are in religious studies, you must be aware of that um, oh, yes. Catholic thing. I don't really understand why even <laughs> this day what that was, but I'm sure there was a good Catholic reason for it. So um, that was another day of the week that was affected. But um, Sunday morning, put on the suit and tie, if you can believe that, and uh, saunter off to church with mom and dad, which was really not a fun experience at all. Um, This was long enough ago, John, where they still spoke half of the masses in Latin, if you can believe that. Right. So, I mean, it's, it, it would have been bad enough if, if it was English, uh, but uh, just add a language that's incomprehensible 
and you just kind of uh, can imagine what it's like being a young kid having to be forced to do that on a weekly basis. And that was mixed in with um, <clears throat> going to catechism, which can't recall exactly. I think you're, I don't know, seven maybe when you start that to uh, study for your first communion. And so that uh, involved being subjected to uh, weekly catechism classes where you're stuck in a classroom for an hour and or so, just forced to, to memorize a bunch of stuff that was just kind of shoved down your throat. Um, I think there was a little, there was some opportunity for discussion, but not a lot. Again, you're being uh, taught by nuns whose job it is, is to make sure that when you uh, are, you, you have the big test at the end of six weeks, whatever, whatever long it was, that you, um, you pass the test by answering the questions correctly. So that was their job to make sure that we memorized everything. So when we were asked the questions for the big test, we passed and could get our, our first communion. Mm -hmm. Not a fun experience. No. Yeah. And the way that you talk about it in the film, um, yeah, it definitely comes across as something that you had a great deal of uh, antipathy for. Um, you did not at all enjoy your religious upbringing. It seems almost like a sort of source of, uh, of trauma for you. Well, um, looking back now um, with a mature perspective, I could see how fucked up it was. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was um, indoctrination would be a polite word for it. Yeah, it was uh, it was programming. It was Catholic programming. I mean, when you're telling a seven or eight year old child that they have to memorize things like thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, how do you expect a child to react to that? Really? You know, I mean, it is it is it is pretty screwed up to think that. Um, to just shove that down a, a kid's throat, force him to memorize stuff that he doesn't even understand just so he could get the questions right on a test to get his first communion and make sure his parents are happy and still um, make charitable contributions to the church. You know, you kind of see the whole picture when you look back on it and kind of analyze it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, I don't know what the Catholic church is, is like now, but it's very, you know, back then it was very cult-like. I don't know mm. if it's changed a whole lot, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume it depends on, I mean, the, the, the Catholic Church is pretty diverse in the way that it um, <laughs> behaves uh, from sort of region to region and, and parish to parish, uh, in my experience. But um, certainly I, you know, I, I don't think that what you're describing would be completely foreign to um, certain people who, who who may be listening right now, um, even who kind of went through it recently. I, I think, though, what sort of interests me about that is that one of the things that seems to have um, occurred through all of that is that you would, at the very least, um, still basically subscribed to the premise of the existence of a god and of the the sort of basis of the Jesus story because you didn't immediately abandon religion as you, as you got older. No. Um, as I mentioned in the film, my religious indoctrination didn't, didn't stop with um, catechism continued for a couple more years uh, for, to get my confirmation, um, which was the next thing. I'm still not sure what that is, but that's what I did, which involved another year or so of, <laughs> Um, member programming of stuff to pass the test to be allowed to be confirmed. And uh, then when I uh, was old enough to start junior high, I guess I was uh, 13, maybe I uh, was sent to the new parochial school in our area and went to three more years of, um, uh, religious training through the religion classes that that parochial school had. 
when you uh you know grew up so to speak um and and you eventually joined marble collegiate church um what what i one thing that i would like to know more about is sort of the the in between sort of what got you to that particular place in that particular church and i should say that for anybody who doesn't know that marble collegiate is not your sort of typical um you know sort of far right evangelical church they're they're very sort of um progressive minded right inclusive uh in their theology and um, perhaps most famously, they're known for being the church that Donald Trump pretends to go to. But um, what 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 led you there? Uh, and 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 like, how do you connect the dots between sort of a um, a rather you know bleak religious upbringing to 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 finding this community for a while that you found kind of fulfillment with? Well, since you referenced Donald Trump, I just have to uh, mention this little um, comedic sidebar. Uh, Go for it. (laughs) Something that uh, Donald Trump and I both have in common. Uh, Not only did we both attend Marble Church, me much more so than he did, but we both met women at Marble that we ended up marrying at Marble. Huh. So both Donald Trump and I met women, got married to women at Marble Church. So who knew I had that much in common with (laughs) Donald Trump? It ends right there, I might add. I, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, which of Donald Trump's ex-wives are we are we talking about here? Uh, Marla, I believe. Okay. <laughs> the second one. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, interesting bit of trivia. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway. Right. Uh, I, I so never, anyway, yeah. But... I never saw him there, um, but I, I do uh, have friends that did see him. Again, I don't think he... He went that often, and he might have been attending a prior to, to my involvement because I I was there on a on a regular basis um, and just mm-hmm. never saw him. So I know he he that he did at one time claimed I guess when he was running for president he claimed that that was his church, but um, Correct, I, don't, yeah. I don't like I said I don't think he was he certainly in fact Marble Church right after he made that that statement, uh, someone at Marble Church uh, went on record to say. Um, we have never seen Donald Trump at our church. <laughs> yeah, nor, I nor is he an official member of our church. Right, <laughs> which is pretty, which is pretty comical that they they felt to need to actually, you know, uh, give give it give a response to that. Right, and it's not again, it, and and that's the sort of church it is, right? Because it's not the sort of you know Jerry Falwell kind of evangelical church that, that no it's very to, to, very anti trump i would say it's very yeah. um, super progressive so you know trump i think is a is a is a laughable uh word whenever it's used at uh at marble church so so what led you there so um you know as you as you referenced um just because i i wasn't fond of my uh catholic programming um, it didn't mean that I um, uh, totally divorced myself from the concept of God. I still believed in God and mm-hmm. just wanted to um, try to get it as when I started getting old enough to really think for myself when I went to college and started questioning things and had the ability to um, uh, pursue whatever I wanted to pursue uh, regarding interests and the big themes of life. And I was always interested in the big themes, you know, whether it be um, uh, money or health or love and sex or, uh, or uh, God, you know, I, those were like the big themes in life that I, I really wanted to understand as much as I could about. So I started uh, reading a lot of spiritual spiritually related books and um, started uh, seeking other um, religious uh, presentations of of church and God, which included watching some TV ministers in the early 80s. They were uh, a couple that I uh, stumbled on. One was uh, Robert Schuller, who mm. broadcast out of uh, the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove. That's right. Uh, California, and he was super, super popular for a number of years in the eighties. He was the hour of, of power, right? Yeah, the uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, really great speaker, and 
yeah. you know, it was like night and day to listen to these guys give a sermon was couldn't have been more different from my experience uh, walking into a darkened uh, church where it felt more like going to a funeral than it did anything. <laughs> and um, when you watched uh, Robert Schuller in this beautiful glass cathedral with these, uh, you know, with um, Hollywood lighting and flowers and, uh, you know, Hollywood cameramen doing the, the, the video production of it, highly produced, really uplifting, positive. And his sermons were just extremely uplifting and hopeful. And I always felt better watching them. So I would look forward to uh, listening and watching him on TV on a weekly basis because it made me feel hopeful and better about things. And uh, the other one that I listened to was Norman Vincent Peale, who I learned was broadcasting out of it. I was in, in, at, at this point in time, John, I was living in Chicago and I learned that uh, I knew uh, Schuler was out of California, but Norman Vincent Peale was broadcasting out of the Marble Collegiate Church in New York. So uh, that wasn't uh, long before I uh, was thinking about making a career move to the big city. And uh, one of the first things I did when I moved to New York was uh, figure out where Marble Collegiate Church was and, and uh, go there. And it turned out it, it was not far from where I lived. And considering the fact that I only knew one person in New York City when I moved there, I was very eager to meet people and very excited to know that after every church service at Marble, they had a very lively coffee hour with, <laughs> with not only a lot of people, but a lot of younger people, a lot of young professional people, and a lot of cute young women, too. So I really looked forward to uh, that on a weekly basis and really got involved, immediately got involved with um, not just going on a weekly basis, but got involved with a lot of their programs and activities. They had all kinds of things going on, a lot of opportunities to volunteer. If you were into that, they had a um, Habitat for Humanity volunteer. I mean, every month there was something new. Uh, they had a, a phone crisis line that you could volunteer to be trained for, to go on lines, uh, which I did. It was 50 hours of training for a phone crisis line. So all kinds of uh, opportunities for, for, for anyone who was looking to, uh, to do something um, positive and, and helpful. And um, I got involved in a lot of it, including retreats. They had three retreats a year, which I really, I didn't know what a retreat was until I went there. But I, um, I and once I started, I really loved the fact that You'd uh, get on a bus on a Friday night and go to some beautiful place outside of the city and hang out with your friends and get into small groups where you could really kind of chat about um, very personal things and share and really get to know people on a much more deep level. And I, uh, I think I hold the record for the most consecutive retreats at 33. <laughs> it sounds like then that... Um... If I if I if I'm sort of reading between the lines here, that it was your interest in kind of these big picture um, philosophical meaning of life, why are we here? Kinds of questions, which I also love, and and you know, um, obviously, combined with your your desire for community, right, is really what the what the drive right. was here, and it's yeah. almost as though the the sort of like particulars of Christianity were almost secondary to it. Right. That you um, rather you had this place where it was fulfilling a lot of social needs. And then you had this sort of, you know, uh, big blanket of answers that that um, provided something. Because it, it, it seems like it wasn't until you started digging in and questioning those underlying beliefs that it started to kind of unravel for you. But would you would you say that that's a fair assessment? Yeah. These retreats were not just social. I mean, you'd go there and they were led by several two or maybe one one or two ministers uh, that were there um, and they each retreat would be on a certain theme, um, uh, a, kind of a spiritual, spiritual oriented theme. Um, yeah. um, but, but something that you could apply in a practical way in your life. Like, you know, um, 
dealing with tough times or something like that. You know, that might be the right. theme of one particular retreat. And then we would, um, the retreat would involve uh, prayers and singing hymns and then um, uh, a couple of presentations by uh, a minister related to the theme. And then we would break into small groups of five or six people and we would go around in, in a, a in a circle, uh, sharing um, some of the challenges that we were dealing with. So it could really kind of open up and get feedback and support and encouragement from other people in the group. And, you know, at the end of that three days, John, you really felt like you had a blood transfusion or something like mm-hmm. that. You really felt like you could yeah. t- take on the world, which right. was great. I, one thing that you don't really get into in your documentary that I, I'm curious about um, and, and getting sort of the sense of who you are and how you think, I, I think I kind of understand it, but how did you get into advertising? Um, like what, what led you down that particular path? I, I kind of, I stumbled into it is the short answer to that question. Um, I was always talented artistically because my mo- my mother was a, an artist and um taught art for a couple of years before she got married and pregnant. Um, So I grew up with an art instructor for a mother. Um, I always kind of, you know, I I never realized why, why I was so talented artistically until I was old enough to like put two and two together and and realize, Oh, you know, my mother was a freaking art teacher. No wonder um, I, I, I learned how to do this. So I, I was talented artistically and that was really the, uh, the only thing that I excelled at in school, I mean, I was a, I was a, I was a good student, but it wasn't like there was any uh, particular subject that I really had a passion for, or I was exceptionally good at other than art. I never uh, thought um, that because I was good at drawing that somehow I could turn that into a career. So I uh, consequently went to a a liberal arts college, hoping that um, a few months of liberal arts classes would then help me decide what I want to be when I grow up. And after uh, a year and a half at that school without any more clarity about what I wanted to major in. Then when I started there, I started getting a little anxious and I have to thank one of my instructors, my sophomore year who um, I went to a school in Long Island that um, I think they had one graphic arts class that of course I took. And uh, about three quarters of the way through the class, the instructor asked me to, um, stop and uh, talk to her after class, which is usually not a very good sign. But uh, so I uh, very anxiously uh, asked her what she wanted to talk to me about. And she just looked at me and said, have you decided what you want to do with your life? Which I thought was a very odd question to come out of (laughs) my mouth. Uh, It just seemed to come out of nowhere. And I I asked her why she asked me that question. She said, because you're extremely talented. Hmm. And um, she said, I just think that if you didn't pursue something in the visual arts or visual communication, that you would be really um, making a mistake. And uh, she said, so let me just, if you, if, if I can, let me just make a suggestion. Um, get out of this school, find a better school to go to where you can really um, get into a program that can help you develop your talent. To which I applied, you got any schools in mind? And the school that she mentioned happened to be the school that my dad graduated from, Syracuse University. So um, needless to say, it was not a hard sell <laughs> when I right, pitched, sure. pitched the idea of uh, paying because he was paying my tuition. And I'm sure that Syracuse was at least as expensive as Adelphi University was. So uh, he said, OK, well, if that's what you want to do, uh, you know, of course, I looked at the curriculum and sh- sh- the instructor was absolutely right. Syracuse has one of the best 
Syracuse is one of the best schools in the country for a lot of things. But if you know anything about it, it's got an amazing advertising program. It's got an amazing uh, communications program. Some of the best sportscasters and newscasters in the country um, are part of their, their communication schools. Uh, Bob Costas, mm-hmm. uh, Marv mm-hmm. Albert. I mean, all these famous uh, newscasters, and sp- mostly sportscasters, I guess, went there. But their advertising uh, uh, program was one of the top five in the country. So, well, I should say, you know, so let me, let me just back up. I didn't know at that point, John, I wanted to go into advertising. I just knew, I just took her advice and I knew that they had a lot of um, areas of studies that involved uh, talents that, um, that my talents might, might work well with, be it architecture or fashion design or photography or just, you know, very artistic oriented careers where you could apply an artistic sensibility to a particular career, industrial, I mean, things I never heard of, industrial design. I mean, I didn't even know what that was (laughs) until I went to Syracuse and found out they had a very uh, advanced program in that. So it was kind of a cornucopia of of all of a sudden it just, you know, it it was like walking into a, a candy store and just seeing all kinds of new candies to pick and choose and, and, and taste, which, mm-hmm. I, which I did. Well, I, I didn't quite do that. I, when I had to pick a curriculum, I, I really didn't know which direction to go. And I um, reached out to someone I thought was a, some kind of a student counselor who um, took a look at my, uh, I had a portfolio at the time with my graphic design stuff and he took a quick look at it. And then he took this card I had, the kind of a course uh, card where you can put in the courses you're going to take. And he he took a pen and he filled it out and he handed it back to me. I looked at it and the courses were Advertising 101, Copywriting 101, uh, Concepts of Advertising 101, uh, Photography, um, Media Studies. It was all around advertising. And he said, now take this to the woman over there and she'll get you hooked up in, in, in you know, the advertising curriculum. Huh. And I said, well, wait a second. I, I don't know that I want advertising. He said, kid, if you have any talent and you want to make money, you go into advertising. Now take this to the woman <laughs> over there and she'll set you up. You obviously had a very successful career and you are, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, responsible uh, for a legendary advertising campaign, um, which is sort of at the center of, of, of your, of your documentary, um, is the, the Marble Collegiate, um, campaign that, that was all over the subways of New York for God, like 10 years, late, late nineties to early 2000s. Actually actually 16. Okay. (laughs) Even, all right. Even more. Um, and as you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's in, in textbooks now. And, um, so, so you kind of figured out how to, how to sell religion to people, which is something that I know, um, especially in the nineties with the sort of makeover of Christianity that was going on, um, in a lot of sectors, I know that was a, a, a frustration for a lot of people, um, how to make Christianity cool. Um, so can you talk, talk a little bit about, just a brief kind of um, summary of what led to that campaign in the first place. Um, and like how you kind of feel about it now with, with your current kind of relationship to, um, to religion today. Yeah. So, you know, after that dubious beginning uh, to an advertising career, I ended up um, eventually um, starting an agency in New York city with another guy uh, just the two of us, we, we, uh, he was a great business development guy and I was, a a, a good creative guy and, um, he was great at finding business and I was great at doing, doing the ad, ads for those clients. And together very quickly, we built a very successful Madison Avenue agency. We were award-winning. In fact, one year we became the second most award-winning agency in New York, beating out, you know, every other agency, agencies with, you know, big global networks. Um, and I think we, at our max, we had maybe seven employees. So it was pretty wild to go from that, uh, that challenging beginning of my career to, to getting to that point 
in my uh, mid thirties. And at the time I was actively involved with Marble Church and heard from one of the associate ministers that the church was thinking of doing an advertising campaign and was looking for uh, some outside people or, or firms to help them do that. So I found myself uh, meeting with the head minister in my office uh, and hearing him tell me that the his board of directors had just pro- approved a budget of $150,000 to spend uh, during a three-month period in New York City uh, for an ad campaign. And what what would I what would I do with that money? How would I spend that money? So you know, um, if you could see what I'm doing right now, I'm doing the head explosion uh, with my hands. <laughs> Because I was very passionate about the church. I love the church. And in advertising, you just never get an opportunity to maybe you work on some products that you you think are okay, but you just never have an opportunity. You know, usually you're working on Cheetos or, you know, car batteries or, um, you know, um, fish sticks or something like that. (laughs) Um, But for me, uh, you know, I, I, in my wildest dreams, I would have never imagined that the church had, was going, you know, considering doing, he actually, the words out of his mouth were ad campaign, you know? And so um, right. I uh, put together a proposal and I, I know he was talking to some other people, but uh, I decided that uh, in order to win the campaign, when he said a proposal and how do you spend the money, what he was really looking for was, a marketing campaign, which involved the media plan. Well, we would do outdoor billboards. We do some uh, subway uh, cards. We would do, you know, maybe some radio commercials, you know, just how, what, what media that money would go toward. So I, he didn't specifically ask for um, a uh, creative presentation, but I was so passionate about the church and so excited about the opportunity. I just couldn't stop my brain from coming up with ideas. So when I uh, met with him again, three weeks later, I not only showed him a marketing and media plan, but I showed him two different campaigns. I mean, I, I, I did nothing for, for three weeks. I basically worked around the clock for three week, three weeks doing all this work. And it was a lot of work. <clears throat> And uh, was shocked when I, I showed him two campaigns. One was pretty conservative. And then one was the campaign that you're referring to, which was pretty edgy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I that, of course, that's the one I was hoping he would go with. But I never really b- thought that uh, if I was a betting person, I would have never bet that w- he would have gone. Because, you know, after all, it is a church. But I also knew that... Um, he made it very clear to me, John, that um, the uh, goal, the marketing goal of the campaign was to attract more young people, more people in their 20s and 30s, New Yorkers to the church. So I knew that I, I had a shot with that edgy campaign because I knew that in order to get the attention of jaded young New Yorkers, you had to do something that was out of the box. I knew that. I didn't know if he knew that. Um, but I, he, he, I, and I think he probably went home and showed his kids who were probably in their 20s. He was probably in his early 60s at the time, maybe. And so I think he had a couple of kids who were um, in their in their late 20s, maybe, or early 30s. And showed them the work and said, what do you think? So I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that he did a little qualitative research and that might have steered him toward the campaign that that you're referring to. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, (laughs) it almost made me go (laughs) at least once. Um, I I certainly remember having those days in New York, um, especially in the early uh, years I was there and and feeling very kind of, uh, isolated and looking for a community and, and, and seeing those ads all the time in the subway and being like, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe I'll go get some coffee on, <laughs> on a Sunday night uh, or Sunday morning. Um, 
uh, I didn't, but but I did actually certainly think about it. So um, and and I'm I'm fairly stubborn when it comes to my um, aversion to to joining churches. So uh, I can see why it was successful on on um, on a lot of people. Well, it's a hard sell, you know. Yeah, um, advertising can only do so much, and I felt that my task was to make the church seem cool. Yeah, and. and you uh, did. Based on your response, it sounds like I I succeeded at least with you. But <laughs> very quickly after the ads ran, John, he was getting a lot of feedback similar to, to what you just shared. So uh, he was pretty excited. Um, I think he was nervous at first because I'm sure there were people on his board that just kind of rolled their eyes when he told them that these were the ads. And your your listeners are probably wondering what the hell we're talking about. But, I'll share. I'll share. I'll share examples on social media. So okay. Can, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just, one of the ads was, "You don't have to be a sinner to attend our church, but it helps." Right. <laughs> and you know, of course, I wanted to. I wanted to try to get into the mind of someone who is um, uh, out Saturday night carousing and drinking and partying, um, and thinking that uh, he's not good enough to go to church. For that yeah. reason, and I wanted it to make to I wanted the ad to communicate the fact that uh, you don't have to be uh, Mr. Perf, Mr. and Mrs. Perfect to walk into our church. We, you know, we don't really care. And I think the fact that that the that was just one of the ads, but all of the ads had a sense of humor. And I think uh, my, I, I'm glad that you know that was my sense of humor, but. Uh, Evidently, the minister uh, appreciated that sense of humor um, because I think if you can get people to, and I, I don't care whether you're trying to get people to, to go to church or, um, you know, buy Cheetos, um, if you can get, if you can entertain them and get them to smile a little bit with your message, it's always going to be an easier sell to get them to do what you want them to do if they're smiling. Mm-hmm. So there's two kind of two more things I want to touch on with you um, uh, before we before we wrap up. Um, one is the the documentary itself. Obviously, your relationship to the church and to um, God, right, for lack of a better term, um, unraveled so profoundly that you decided that you would make this documentary about um, your journey through religion and your decision to sort of walk away from it, uh, and also the phenomenon of, of that occurring. Um, so I, I do want to sort of um, get a little bit more into sort of what compelled you that you feel so strongly about this that you wanted to make a, a, a visual document of it. Um, and then last, after that, I want to, I want to ask you one more thing about, about this, this concept of, of the nuns, that is to say, sure. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, um, that, that, that we see uh, emerging in our culture. Um, so for the first question, why did you make this documentary? Yeah, well, just so your reader, your listeners uh, can understand, this movie is not all about me because if that was the case, I, w I would have never made it. I wanted, I wanted to make something that that um, people would actually want to watch. And uh, what got me interested uh, was the fact that um, as my feelings were changing, the way they were away from church, religion, and God, I began to wonder. Uh, if there were any, uh, what it might be like if um, I was a priest or a minister experiencing these same feelings of this is bullshit, or mm -hmm. I don't, I don't believe this anymore, or it's not for me anymore, because it was not an easy thing for me to reconcile. It actually was kind of a, a process um, that started about 20 years prior to me making the film and deciding that I was done with all this stuff. So it was a very slow drip for me, but um, because I was wrestling with a lot of these feelings, I, I, I was thinking how crazy it must be for anyone who's in the clergy who might be going through the same thing. And I just figured just based on the, on, on the odds um, there has to be at least a few people in the clergy who must be um, 
struggling with the same feelings that I am. And it's got to be multiplied times 10 because their job is, is preaching or is, you know, is, 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 uh, continuing along these, these, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the belief of, of the church and the religion that, that they're in. If, if they no longer believe it, I can only imagine what that must feel like. And I started doing a bit of research and stumbled on something called the clergy project, which addressed exactly what the subject I was th- wondering about. And it, it, the clergy project dealt with um, all the many ministers and, and priests and clergy people who were going through this and gave them a place to go, a safe place to go where they could talk about it amongst themselves and, and be supported and, and um, deal with these very difficult feelings. So when I discovered that more and more ministers were coming out as non-believers, that was the tipping point for me to say, I think that's interesting enough for me to start figuring out if I can make a documentary because that's going to be the starting point. I said, I, I'm not, I wasn't sure where it was go, going to go f- from there, but I just thought that was a fascinating subject that was really not, not um, uh, talked about in any documentary that I had ever seen. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure I did something that was kind of unique that uh, sh- shined a light on something that uh, many people just were not aware of that was a very fascinating thing and tapped into a much bigger thing that was happening in this country, which was, you know, the many uh, uh, average people leaving religion. I think at that time in 2016, it was uh, something like uh, 24% of people who uh, described themselves as um having no particular religious affiliation. And in December, that number just went up to 29%. So it jumped up 5% uh, in the past few years. So that was the tipping point, uh, ministers uh, coming out as non-believers. And then I just shared the research and I, I kind of weaved that in, dovetailed that into the story about the broader picture about uh the American population kind of doing the same thing. And then I, I, I thought that if I uh, told my personal story, that would make it more interesting because if I just talked about statistics, that would be pretty boring itself. So if I, <laughs> if yeah. I could kind of weave in a personal story, I thought that that would also um, on a different level would make it interesting as well. Yeah, it felt very relatable because you are sort of couching it inside your own your own journey, um, and and you know that that kind of brings these stories that I think a lot of people just can't relate. To. I mean, how many people can relate to <laughs> losing the thing around which your entire profession is is built? It's 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 a uh, it's difficult to even fathom um, what that would be like. And so I I do think it, it's useful the way that you frame it um, as as something that uh is 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 becoming more and more apparent and even people who are not clergy are really struggling there's still a stigma i think in this country of being openly non-religious oh yeah um, even though it is becoming more and more more and more prevalent oh there's there there's there certainly is especially in certain parts of the country um but you know one of the ministers um that was referenced in my film <clears throat> was a um i think he was southern baptist he was headed up a congregation in small town, Louisiana, and he actually came out as an atheist and they ran him out of town. Yeah. His wife, his wife divorced him. He lost his, his house. He lost his job. I mean, I can't believe the guy not, you know, you understand why some of these people are fearful of, of, of coming out. And I think he, he kind of held off on that for quite a while before he just felt like um, he couldn't, he couldn't keep it a secret. It's, you know, the, the parallels being uh, gay, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but this, this to me is more a stigmatizing. This is like the last taboo because now, you know, gay is, is coming out. Gay is nothing uh, unique. It's very accepted nice. now in most places of the country, except maybe Florida. Um, uh, yeah, well. you know, transgender is now kind of the new frontier, but 
Um, even now, I think uh, coming out as an atheist, that uh, there's such a stigma around the A word that um, I understand why if you're a minister or a clergy person, that's that's extremely difficult to admit. Yeah. The other thing, um, the last point I kind of want to bring up with you and get your, your own, again, kind of personal thoughts on, um, because since watching the documentary, I've kind of wondered where you've gone with, with this. Um, what... As, as someone who who teaches and studies religion and um, the way religion works in society um, and have looked at this this emerging trend of, of the nuns which by the way we need a better word for because we already have a word that means religious nuns we, it's it's a bad word but anyway uh, NONES <laughs> um, this 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 sort of new new category um, in my experience people um, want to be religious right it's it's a it's a kind of a human drive. Um, and we've built certain structures around religion that if you don't fit into them, then there really isn't a place for you. Um, and I, I get concerned, especially when I see people who are, you know, self-described spiritual, but then they kind of fall into conspiracy theory cults and 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 that sort of thing. And, and I get concerned that there is there isn't a place where someone who is atheist can go have coffee on Sundays and go on retreats and talk about the big questions in their atheist church. There's a couple of them, they do exist, um, but, but they're, they're not readily available in most communities. And what seems to drive people back to religion to keep them there often, I think is that sense of community. Um, so I wonder in the aftermath of your personal transformation, um, you know, how much do you miss that? And have you kind of found anywhere that you have been able to fulfill that, um, that kind of missing piece? Uh, Yes and no are the answers to those two questions. I do miss it, and okay. no, I haven't, I haven't found. So those are the short answers. Um, yeah. Marble, as you referenced earlier, John, was a very unique place. Um, I don't think there are many churches like that around the country in that um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a place where you walk in and you just feel better. There's, there's an energy there, you know, listen, it's Midtown New York. So, you know, you get a lot of people there, a lot of, uh, uh, really smart, interesting people who are doing interesting things. So, um, the conversations you meet when the people you, that go there are, are always very interesting. Um, and the people are very friendly. So I, 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 uh, I haven't really found, um, I, I, you know, I, I realized that that was kind of an exceptional place. Um, and also I was in my twenties and thirties at the time. Um, I attempted to go to a couple of, um, I think there was a, a Unitarian church yeah. in Stanford and I, I, I went there and, um, I guess I, I'm kind of spoiled from the experience of Marble you know, they were just uh, uh -huh. people, yeah. people around my age that were there that, you know, weren't there as part of a family unit. They just kind of look kind of sad, for lack of a better word. And um, I, I, uh, I kind of miss having a, an organization. I try, you know, it doesn't have to be a church. There's many kinds of meetups and things like that. And I've tried those too. But you know, part of it is a function of being outside of New York City. I mean, New York City is a very high energy place. And so whether it's, whether it's a church or just any kind of a group, you're going to, there's going to be an energy uh, that, that goes with being in Manhattan that you're just not going to find once you leave the city. Um, I live in the suburbs now, and it just seems like 80% of the stuff here uh, uh, socially is around families, you know, mm. which makes sense. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just don't have a family, so I, I, I can't fit in that tribe. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it, it was a challenge, um, but um, you know, that was a long time ago. So I've kind of adapted. This is, you know, I, I started weaning myself away from the church. Um, I guess um, maybe the late, well, yeah, maybe the. Right after, I guess one of the tipping points for me was 9-11. Uh, 
So yeah. after the, the turn of the century, um, I started questioning things a lot more. And 9-11 to me uh, um, facilitated uh, a lot of my um, questioning uh, God and religion. And so from that point on for the next, I still did the, the ad campaign till about 2014. But um, at a certain point, I felt like I was, I no longer had the passion. I was kind of going through the motions toward the last couple of years. Yeah. And I wasn't even going to the church and you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a couple experiences with the church that rubbed me the wrong way. I mentioned, I referred to them yeah. in the documentary, the Bible study and everything like that. So I, I wasn't feeling um, a lot of warm and fuzzy uh, uh, toward the church the last few years I was uh, involved with, uh, involved with it. Um, well, in the meantime, then, um, if you want to tell people where they can see the film and if you want to, uh, mention any other work you are doing that you would like to direct people towards, um, I'm happy to have you, uh, do that before we close. Well, hopefully you will pull, put some kind of a link if that's possible. Um, Absolutely. Somewhere in the show notes. So that would be the yep. easiest way for anyone who's listening to this, but if you're um, driving your car or something or walking on the beach, listening to this, uh, <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can Google uh, three words, leaving God film or leaving God documentary, and it will come up. And just, again, this, this is not a people, you know, one of the things I got to kind of defend is the title of the film, because yeah. if they're not listening to me talking about it, they're just going to see the title and say, um, I don't need to see a film from an atheist and the the film is not uh my bias against god it is just a, like i said an investigative report on um what's happening in this country uh, when it comes to religion and god weaved in with my personal story which is simply that my story and it just uh um my intention is just to get people to um to think for themselves and if they watch this film and they still uh, have a strong feeling with a faith and, and their, their church and God, that's fine with me. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. Yeah. And it's thoughtful and it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's moving and it's, it's very fairly presented. So um, I, I will, I will, just leave it at that uh go check it out yourself um john really interesting talking to you thank you so much uh for taking the time thank you john appreciate it uh really enjoyed talking to you